Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today, we welcome Rachel Lindsay, the first Black bachelorette, to the podcast to discuss her debut book, Miss Me With That, Hot Takes, Helpful Tidbits, and A Few Hard Truths. Rachel is also the co-host of the Higher Learning Podcast and a correspondent on Extra. We talked today about her experiences on The Bachelor franchise, opening herself up to social media harassment, and working with a ghostwriter. The Sachs Book Club pick for February is I Live a Life Like Yours by Jan Gru, and we will be discussing the book on Wednesday, February 23rd with Tessa Miller. If you like The Stacks and want more of it, please head to patreon.com slash The Stacks to join The Stacks Pack. You'll get perks like bonus episodes, the virtual book club, discounts on merch, and shout outs on the show, which, of course, speaking of, let me shout out some of our newest members. Vivek Kembayan, Cassie Scheidegger, Jessica B., Emily Allen, C.P. Solvers, Emily Williams, Anna, Chelsea Robinette, Corinne Acosta, and Angie Shelton. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks and putting your money behind the work of this show. There would be no podcast without the Stacks Pack. So please head to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join. Okay, now we talk with Rachel Lindsay. All right, everybody. I say this every week, but for those of you who know me, you know I am so excited As a fan of The Bachelor, as a fan of higher learning, today's episode is what we call a dream guest. It is the one and only Rachel Lindsay. Rachel, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you so much, Tracy, for having me. And what an introduction. It is my honor (laughs) and pleasure to be here on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about your book, Miss Me With That, Hot Takes, Helpful Tidbits, and A Few Hard Truths. It's your memoir. I loved this book. I went in very skeptical because, you know, I feel like the bar is a little low with Bachelor (laughs) franchise writing. And I was like, you know what? It'll be cute. I was moved by you. I was like, oh, I'm learning things. But just for people who aren't up on the book yet, will you in like 30 seconds or so tell us about the book? Yes. Thank you for saying that. This is a book about me. It's a book of essays. And I wanted to write essays because I didn't want this to be a, at five, I did this, at 10, I did this. I wanted each essay to stand alone. You can pick it up, go back to it, skip ahead if you want to. It's designed to be that way. But what this really is, is an in-depth look into me. My story has been told for me. I have been misunderstood. There are so many preconceived notions about me, but this book is me. These are my words. These are my feelings. These are my sensitivities, my vulnerabilities, my goofy side, my sassy side. And of course, the hot takes, like yeah. me being completely honest about certain situations. I feel like I address everything. You might not get the answer you want, but it will be addressed. Yes. But this is really something that almost like a love letter to myself for my teens and, and 20s, that maybe this is something that you're in this place right now. You can pass it on to a friend, a relative, whatever it may be. But every essay, I learned something. Some plus lessons I learned before, some lessons I learned when I was writing it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm curious when you decided you were ready to write the book, because I know for a lot of people, when you write a memoir, especially folks who are in the public eye, 
you have to come to terms with sharing information. So when did you get the idea for it? And then when did you decide you were actually ready to write it? Um, I was approached to write a book right after the show. And to be honest, I didn't feel like I had enough to say. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I was interesting enough. I didn't (laughs) want the book to be all about my time on the show. And I didn't want a tell-all. I'm more than just The Bachelorette. So I wanted to write a book more than that. So it just wasn't the time for it. 2020, I had a lot to say. (laughs) And because it became more of realizing who I am Mm -hmm. in this current world, the things that have happened to me prior to this that have made me who I am. Mm. And that's the book that I wanted to write. So being in a place where I could barely take three steps without breaking down emotionally in 2020, watching what was happening in our country, watching people wake up to racism like it wasn't always here, losing friendships, gaining allies, dealing with Bachelor Nation in a totally different way than Mm. I had before. It was 2020 where it was like, okay, you know what? I got something to say because what I started to do was do opinion, like op-eds. I wrote for GMA. Um, I wrote for some some other publication as well. And I was like, you know what? I Now is the time that I feel like I have something to say. I started a blog um, called Honestly Rage out of quarantine because I needed something to do. Right, right. And it was before May 2020 when it was the culmination of learning about Ahmaud Arbery, learning about Breonna Taylor, watching what happened to George Floyd, watching the, the, the fallout with Hannah Brown. All that happened in May. Right. I had started my blog before. So then my blog became a response to what was happening in society. Higher learning started in May. That was originally was supposed to be a lot lighter mm-hmm. than it started off. That was a response to what was happening in the Black community and in this country. And so then I was just like, you know what? It's time to write a book. Now, who would have known that then what will fall <laughs> yes. happen in 2021 did as well? So it was, gotta, gotta <laughs> like, edit, 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 edit. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know you've had like a whirlwind few years, last few years, which is sort of funny because you would think that like doing The Bachelorette would be like, you know, that's all the craziness. And it's like five years later, all of a sudden, I feel like you've had a a Rachel renaissance in the public eye in a way that like like alliteration, (laughs) take it with you, take it to your next interview. (laughs) One of the things you talk about in your book, from your upbringing. You talk about having been one of the few black kids going to like an all white school and being in the black community and not feeling black enough. And that's Mm -hmm. something I also went to a predominantly white schools. And that's something that I've definitely struggled with as well. And I'm wondering if it's something that, is it something that you're still struggling with now as you're on higher learning and people are turning to you as like this voice and feeling a responsibility to not obviously speak for all black people, but also to represent us well. And also, you know, the criticism that you get, like, do you still struggle with that? Very interesting question. So on higher learning, we had a family meeting one time. I remember this. And it triggered issues that I talk about in my book. And Van always jokes with me. And it was something where I hadn't fully explained to him what I've been through, but it triggered in me what I went through in my childhood into my early adult years. Sure. And so I I don't struggle with it, not nearly as much as I used to, but certain things, right? Like marrying a man who's not Black. Well, then all those things come back again where people are accusing me of being something that I'm not Mm. or diminishing my blackness, you know, oh, my blackness is watered down. I'm not, I'm not as black as you, or your black is better than mine. Those are issues from my childhood that I dealt with all over again in doing The Bachelor. Mm. So I don't feel the pressure or feel a certain way to speak out because that's just me. And I think you also get that in the book of why I'm so vocal. I can't help myself, Mm. what I went through. Uh, what my parents taught me, what I learned, what I saw with my sister going to an HBCU. So no, I don't feel it in that sense. I just more, sometimes I feel defensive sure. because of how people first met me. They sure. met me dating a white man. Right. And then on my my show, I picked someone who was, wasn't Black. Right, so. right. Which has become like such a talking point on the show of like picking someone who's not Black. It's like, okay, well, the dating pool also, it's not like, you know, 
which you talk about in the book, not yeah. to diminish Brian in any way. I, my husband sure, is also sure. not black. It. Yeah. He, he knows he was married to you. Like, that's the thing I always think. I'm like, of course, Brian gets it all. He's married to, to Rachel. Okay. You dive deep into some personal family type things. How much of the book did you show to your family before you sent the final? Did you show any, what did the judge say? I'm curious. <laughs> So my family has not read the book. Still no. Sisters, not my parents. I contemplated, should I give them the book before? And then I decided not to. But what I did do, we had a very interesting Christmas holiday. Okay. Because what I did do is decide to talk to them about the chapter that was the hardest one for me to write. And that's the Miss Sex Education of Rachel Mm. Lindsay. Because... We don't talk about sex in my family. We never did. We still don't. I'm 36 and I'm married and I still get nervous to talk about things. There's a lot of sex in this book. Yeah. And I'm very open about who I was having sex with and losing my virginity. And even being married and at the age I am, I was like, oh my gosh, my parents, I'm so nervous. Are they (laughs) going to disown me after reading it? But it's reality. And I think a lot of people can relate to growing up the way I did in a certain household where there was one message taught at school, at church, at home, even in your friend groups, most of my friend circles. So I, I thought it was important because I know I'm not alone in this and I shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. And so I like that I challenge not lose religion, but challenge my religion and the messages that are taught. And you see me work through that difficulty and that guilt and shame of not doing what I was supposed to do and then losing myself in the process and trying to find that self-worth in other ways. So I told my parents, I said, you didn't talk to me about sex. Oh my gosh, to this day, the judge is like, yes, we did. You learned at school. I said, no, I learned about reproduction. That is totally different than learning about sex and and the feelings that you have and these emotions. And when you meet a guy, of course, my parents taught me to respect my body. And that's what my dad said. We taught you to respect yourself and value yourself. (laughs) You did. But what happens if I'm not perfect? And there was never a conversation about that. There was never a conversation about the emotional side. And my dad had to concede. And he was like, you're right. We never talked to you about that. Right. So they were accepting of what I had to say, but I do think it's going to be very difficult for them to read because at the end of the day, my parents still care about what a lot of people think. And they're they're going to feel a certain way that other people are going to be reading about my business. I come from a family. Don't talk about your business. Right. Right. So will there be another family meeting after they read the book? (laughs) Like, will there be a book report where they have to? I mean, here's here's what I told them. I said, There was more, a lot more I could have said. Mm. So what I kept reiterating to them is I'm telling my business, telling your story or something that happened or things I learned about my family that I felt like could have been very beneficial for me to know when I was struggling with Mm -hmm. this, that I didn't find out till I was in my thirties because they didn't tell, they didn't tell each other's business. So it was important for me to not tell their their business, but mine. So I was like, I hope that you guys at least find peace with that. There was a lot I could have said yeah. that I didn't. I just told mine. And and there's intention. You know, there's a, there's a purpose behind it. Right. I'm not telling it just to sell books. I'm telling it because it was therapeutic for me. And I feel like there are lessons that I learned that maybe somebody else can can learn as well. Right. And what about a lot of the stuff you talked about? Like you have a boyfriend that you talked about cheating on. You have the story about taking um, a big test where you did something that you weren't super excited about. Um, No spoilers here, folks. You'll have to get the book. Um, How did you come to terms with sharing so much of yourself and in writing this book? Like, how did you get okay with being like, people are going to find out about this thing that I'm not super proud of or that I'm still a little embarrassed about? So, What's funny is I've never publicly said, and he does not know, at least that I know of, that I cheated on him in that relationship. I know what he did to me because, you know, I talk about it. Right. But I've never, I've always been ashamed to say that I actually cheated in that relationship. And that's what I mean about we were both so wrong Mm -hmm. and it was not right for either one of us. But the reason I wanted to be open about my mistakes is because the purpose of the book is for people to get to know me, not the persona that has been out there, which is that, oh, Rachel has it together. She went to, you know, college, law school, daughter of a federal judge, 
works as an attorney. She is perfect on paper. No, I'm self-aware. And the reason I'm self-aware is because of the hot mess of my twenties. <laughs> and I don't think that it's my on brand for me to pretend to be something that I'm not. Mm. And also what a boring book yeah. that would have been a thousand if I didn't tell my, I would have to leave out truly a decade of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so important to, to like, if you want to understand how I am Rachel today, you have to understand the uphill battle that I had, the inner struggles that I had, the the mistakes that I made in relationships, right. the way I was looking to be valued from certain men, the way I became, the way I treated, even being taught a message of valuing my body, the way I wasn't valuing it. And I thought I was so strong because I was doing everything I was supposed to do on the outside. Right. But on the inside, I was a mess, which is why one of my other favorite chapters, Into Sanity, you see that I didn't think I needed therapy. And I'm a firm believer that the people who truly don't think they need therapy are the ones that need it yeah, the most. Yeah. And I went to therapy for the wildest reason. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I would not be where I am today without therapy, both therapy that I had before the show, therapy that I had during the show and therapy after. I love the part where you mentioned how you demanded therapy. On oh, yeah. uh, at the show, they were like, "We have therapists for people who need it." You're like, "No, no, I'll be doing this. Thank you." I thought that was just like yeah. such a boss moment. I was like, "I love this." It it's saved me. I was like, "Where are these people disappearing to?" They're like, "Oh, they're going to see the psychiatrist." What? <laughs> me, Sign me now, up now, immediately. <laughs> do it. Do it. Um, you mentioned 2020, and I, I'm just so. One of the things I've always been really fascinated about with your story as someone who, before reading the book, knowing that you're the first black bachelorette, you sort of parlayed that success into this, you know, this, you left being a lawyer and you started to do ESPN stuff. You have this podcast, like you're a host, you do all these things. I'm wondering at what point, and, and if 2020 maybe was part of it, were you reflected back on your time at The Bachelor? Did you ever like get angry or like... Did you ever feel embarrassed or upset about what you experienced and how you were told that you experienced it? Like there seemed to be a disconnect from the outside eye of who you were and who you are from what I know. And then what I remember of you on that show and how you were portrayed. So I'm wondering if like it all clicked for you at any point and what that was like. Yeah, I mean, there I can point to the exact moment where I started to turn and people were like, wait a minute. And I guess, you know, this, this is such a great question because when I looked, I thought, and I was being very much myself, right? but I, on the show, but I knew that I was doing a TV show. So there was a lot of things that I compromised with, you know, some, it was just wasn't worth fighting for at the end of the day. I wanted to represent myself, of course, as a black woman, but then possibly find love if, if that option was there. But the more I stepped away from it, or I would talk to people who knew me before, it was kind of like, it seems like a watered down version of Rachel. Mm. And I think that that's also evident when people say, oh, I loved you so much more when you were on the show than oh I do Oh my now. gosh, that's so funny because I'm so the opposite. I loved you as the Bachelorette, but now I'm like, oh, I fuck with Rachel. Like I don't like I like Joseph Bachelorette because I'm black and I'm like she's there and she's beautiful she's handing with so much grace and like she seems like a lovely person but now I'm like oh yeah I'm team team big rage big time you know like well, thank the you. opposite as, total opposite as my sorority sister says you she's like you played the part you know under contract you played the part but then you turned around and called the franchise racist with your whole chest yes. afterwards and. For me, I guess you had to understand why I said yes to Bachelorette. It wasn't because I thought I was going to find a husband. That was like the, right. the surprise in it all. It was because I wanted to represent myself right. as a Black woman and stand in this space as a lead when people hadn't seen an audi uh, someone who looked like me in this position. And I never wanted to forget that. Mm. And so I was always going to come back and fight for more inclusivity because that shouldn't end with me. Right. So contractually, I couldn't necessarily do that. But when I turned was a year to the date of my finale, when I sat there and I was blogging for Us Weekly and I watched Becca Kufrin's finale mm. and I could not believe 
the stark contrast in what she experienced and what I experienced. And I remember I was in my hotel room in New York and I was seething. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember why I was in New York. I was seething. I called Brian. I was going to write a totally different article. I called Brian and I read to him what I ended up writing out of pure emotion. I was livid. And he was like, send it. And it got picked up everywhere because I watched her get her fairy tale mm -hmm. and it took me back to, they stripped that away from me. They right. put me on display for three hours and labeled me angry black female. Right. And for Becca, who literally was sitting next to a homophobic, racist, transphobic, xenophobic man, right. they covered it up and wished him, you know, kind of like, oh, thank you so much for sharing that when he gave us absolutely nothing. nothing. And I was just watching how they protected her but they didn't do that for me at all. Right. You know, I turned to Peter and said, I'm living my best life. And I remember they cut to commercial. And I remember Chris telling me like, you need to calm down. I remember mm. producers telling me like, people are going to be upset. And I was like, cause I told the man he's living their best, his, right. that I'm living my best life. Right. So I, that moment I wrote a, a like a scathing article calling them out for who they are and what they've done. And it was like people turned on me ever since. And wow. for me, it was like, I'm out of contract. There's no looking back at this point. This is how it is. I'm going to say exactly what I want to and how I feel. Right. And that was it. That just set me on the path. That just set you on your journey. I for <laughs> people who don't, for people who aren't like huge fans and don't know every single moment of the show like I do. Sure. <laughs> what happened in your finale is that you had a live finale. And so you yes. had to watch everything in front of a live studio audience. And you had had a pre breakup prior to picking Brian, who is now your husband of two years. Yes. Two years. And so, and they sort of made the guy that you didn't pick Peter. It was a very emotional, you guys were crying. You had eyelashes on the floor. My God, I'll never forget the shot of the mm -hmm. eyelashes. <laughs> and then, and then it and it made it like that Peter was the one that you really wanted, not Brian, which is not the case, yeah. but that's how it was edited. And then in comparison to what happened with Becca, she picked this horrible guy who had had these horrible tweets and like liked like a woman's place in the, in the kitchen or something terrible. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't exactly mm -hmm. remember. And but they let him talk and he was like, I just liked it. I didn't know what I was liking. Like, I'm lovely, whatever. Turns out he was a full thin blue line kind of guy. 2020 really just he was he was fully, fully MAGA. He had got, he jumped the shark, but I mean, that's their audience. So that's what you're talking about is that they gave him this lovely moment. Yes. And instead they kind of put you on display and made you look like you were emotional and you were faking it and all of this stuff. When flash forward five years, you're still married to Brian and Becca and Garrett are no longer. And now Correct. Becca has a snack with Thomas. And so I, I, I'm so happy for her. And it's so funny because she was like, I didn't tell you I was going to the summer show Bachelor in Paradise because a, a lead has never gone. Before. Right, right. And she's like, I didn't tell you, Rachel, because I didn't you would try to convince me not to. And she's right. I would yes. be like, girl, what are you doing? I'm so glad to be wrong because he and Thomas are the absolute real deal. Brian and I have hung out with them a couple of times and oh, they're fantastic. That's so nice. I have to credit a mutual friend of ours for all of my bachelor knowledge, because I'm a huge fan of Juliet Littman, who's actually been on oh, the show. Yes. And I know Juliet loves you. We went out to dinner when I was in New York and she was like, oh my God, Rachel's the best. And I was like, I'm going to try to get Rachel on the podcast. <laughs> I <laughs> love, love Juliet. And then also for your readers who aren't familiar with the show in the finale, what was also so jarring and I, I wrote about is that, you know, you understood why Becca picked her guys. Yes. You couldn't understand why I right. picked Brian. Right. And then when Peter did tell me, well, if you're not going to be with me, you're going to live a mediocre life. That's and then my response was actually, I'm living my best life. He comes back from commercial and Chris Harrison says, Rachel, you seem angry. I have yet to yell, raise my voice, curse, roll my eyes, nothing. I'm talking in a complete, purposefully, I might say in a complete monotone voice. Then Peter turns to me and says, you attacked me. <laughs> and I say, how did I attack you? And I know for a fact a producer fed him that during the commercial break. And he said, you attacked me. And I said, how did I attack you? And he goes, he pauses a long pause and he goes, I, I just, I don't know. Because I didn't. <laughs> right. And, and those are the same words that Bachelor Nation used for me to this day. 
I'm, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I attack because of what Chris said and what Peter said. And it right. was something that I carried with me to this day. To this day, people constantly go back to she's angry, she's bitter. And they turned right. on me after that moment. I mean, it's just so crazy because, you know, you were the first black lead, but there have been so many. And I and I don't feel that they've ever done right by them. I think they tried to give Michelle money as reparations or whatever. Reparations. Yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> but like, I mean, Matt James, they did him pretty dirty. Taisha got a half season. I just, I think like, I, I, I gotta be honest as a fan of the show. I don't go to the show to watch about race. I, I really don't. Like I was happy that you got the opportunity and I was literally like, okay, mm-hmm. just go back to the white nonsense. Like that's what I'm here for, you know? And like watching, I don't know if you're watching this season, but I'm like, this is lovely yeah. because it's just like white chaos. It's like three blonde women hating each other. And I'm like, this is beautiful television like I don't want to see Matt James interview his dad about prison no like like I'm not here for that exactly um okay I want to kind of move off Bachelor because I there's so much other like juicy stuff and interesting stuff about your life however I do want to ask you one more Bachelor question which is are you just fucking tired of talking about Peter? Because I feel like you are the only lead who I've ever seen who still has to talk about the runner up. And you're one of the few people who's married. Like, it's like so crazy to me. Besides maybe like Ari, even though he never has to talk about Becca and she won and then he dumped her on TV. So I'm just like, does it piss you off or does it like irritate you at all? I knew people were going to be obsessed with Peter. And I didn't watch the shows before, but... It is my understanding that before there was a Tyler Cameron, there was a Peter Krause. And people were obsessed with Peter in a way that they never have been before. So it doesn't shock me that people still ask me questions about him because they they couldn't understand because of their obsession, they Mm -hmm. couldn't understand that I would say no and I could possibly be happy with somebody else. It, it didn't hit them. And plus, because our breakup was so emotional, right. it's just something that people to this day still can't let go of. There's c- certain people who can't move on. So it doesn't bother me. It happened. It's a part of my story. So I don't mm-hmm. mind talking about it because it also gives me the opportunity to tell the true story right. with it all, you know, right. and, and, and explain it. At this point, I just find it funny for the people <laughs> who still are like, you know, oh my gosh, she really wanted Peter. And I'm like, really guys, it's almost been five years. Yeah. yeah. I've moved on. My wish for, is for you too as well. Yes, I hope that you can find someone <laughs> that loves you as much as you seem to love Peter. <laughs> um, you, you had a piece that came out today and people about some of the harassment that you've experienced, which was pretty brutal and disgusting. Yeah. Do you ever think like, you know what? I just want to leave the public eye and be harassment free and like chill out in my home with my husband and my dog and just like vibe. Or are you okay with being, I mean, not okay, not like you're inviting it, but like, are you, do you have some sort of peace with it? Um, I definitely have peace with it. Uh, What happened after the fallout from Chris's interview was more, I've never, like, that's the first time I couldn't handle it. Okay. I've always been able to handle it. I can take things in stride. I can, I, you know, like I talk about this in the book. It's like, you're a Lindsay. This is what you're supposed to do. You put on your big girl pants and you keep it moving. I can pretend and fake it and ignore my emotions, even though therapy has taught me to stop doing that. <laughs> With Chris, it just came, it was so unexpected and it mm-hmm. just kept coming. And every week was like a new piece and people would right. get mad all over again. All over again. We didn't even watch the show. And that's what was so difficult about it. So it was the first time that I got off social media. It was too much for me. I remember lying in my bed, getting on Instagram, seeing the negativity. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to deactivate it. And I remember I called Brian and I was like, hey, I deactivated my social. I'm good. Just letting you know. Not even thinking that was going to be a news story. I did it for peace of mind. My phone blew up. Are you okay? What happened to you? And then, of course, Van's response is like, leave her alone. And then that just gets me the right. attention. I love that you had my back, though. So, yeah, it's I'm at peace now because I've moved past it. You know, of course, I'm talking about it on this book tour. Right. And, of course, I'm ang- people are getting angry. Like, I can't believe she's talking about it again. But guess what? This is a part of my story. This right. happened to me. And when it happened, I said how I felt initially. 
But then I stopped talking about it. You know, I went on my podcast, I did a couple of interviews and that was it. Even when Chris got fired, I didn't do interviews about it. So now I'm talking about it in depth because this is a part of my story and I'm not allowed people going to allow people to take it away from me. And partly I'm at peace as well because I was able to write about it Mm. and I was able to process it and I was able to successfully move on from it. And I did get a lot of support at the same time. So that is the kind of attention I don't like, but I don't mind getting attention for speaking out on things that I believe in or I'm passionate about at all. Right. And like one of the things I think is so interesting of about people like not wanting you to talk about it on your book tour or just in general is that's like so typical racism in America, right? It's like mm-hmm. this thing happens. You're at your job, you're doing your job, you're asking like very benign questions. Mm-hmm. This white person has a meltdown of sorts, a verbal meltdown. I mean, he's not crying or anything, but like he is yeah. he's he's spiraling. He spiraled himself out. Mm-hmm. And then you become the villain and then it, you become a piece in his story as opposed to him showing up at your work and treating right. you poor. Like it's just it's it's just such an obvious example of how these things happen. And it's so frustrating and infuriating to watch. And like I know there's so many people who hate you because of it. But I also feel mm-hmm. like on the flip, there's so many people like me who are like, she handled that so beautifully. And like I'm so glad that someone else has experienced this horrible thing that I think that is just a thing that happens to me. Not that I wish any of this on you, but you know what I'm saying? It's like to see it and to be able to recognize it. And it it is, it's so true. And, and that's a part of the book too, is I want people to understand, you know, when I go through this essay of a nation of double standards, for some reason, you want to scream to the rooftops about Rachel, how could you give her grace, give her compassion? Where's your understanding? Well, why is it that you can never apply that to me? Why can you never give me grace and understanding or understand where I'm coming from? I have to be doing something bad. Rachel had this master plan to trick this 50-year-old man who's been hosting a show for 19 years into saying the wrong thing. I must have done something, you know? So it's just incredible to me. Like, I swear, if I if I was in the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis would be proposing a bill to, to shut me up because I'm making white people feel uncomfortable. You know, right, like that's right. it's just wild. <laughs> it's crazy. And like he's what Chris Harrison is one of the most media trained humans on the face exactly. of the earth. It's not like he's a contestant. I think maybe if it was like some contestant and like you had them on and you like did a gotcha question. But it's like this right. man is comfortable with a microphone like he's he knows how to spin he's been around the block he does it all the time he does it all he wanted to say that yeah he wanted to say that and like when people ask me why did you ask that question it's like it was the most relevant question at the time and i've said this i think i said this once before we were supposed to have tyler cameron on the show (laughs) tyler cameron bailed out so thank you tyler and just didn't do the, show up to do the interview. And Chris stepped in to do the wow. interview instead. I would have asked Tyler the exact same question. Right. I mean, it, it was the only question. That was all we were talking <laughs> about. It, 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 like, that's the thing. It's like, it was the most basic shit. It wasn't like you were like, hey, Chris, are you a racist? Like, why are you so <laughs> racist, Chris? Do you like the Ku Klux Klan, Chris? Like, it was like, hey, Chris, can you talk about this thing that everyone's talking about? Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about your process. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But 
Don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we are back. My first question for you about sort of your writing process is in the book, you have this list from when you're a teenager about your dream man, your partner. Then you have this list reappear in your 30s and then you kind of deal with it at the end of the book. Was there really a list and was this actually what was on it or is this a is this like a list like you pulled from your journal or is this a list that you sort of like compiled from your memories? This is actually a mental list that I had. Okay. I didn't actually write it down okay. and put it in. The only thing that's actually written that it's put in that was written prior were my vows, okay. like other than outlining and notes and stuff. Right, you know right, what right, I mean? Right. Um, but I absolutely had a list and anybody <laughs> who knows me knows this was it, okay. which it's, ridiculous when you read the book, but okay. I, tr every single one of those things was on it. It was a mental, and I would talk about it. I'm like, he doesn't fit what's on my mental list. Like, you know, like I just pass him by. Right, 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 right. And are you a journaler? Cause it seemed like there was a lot of things that seemed like really specific. And I wasn't sure how you pulled out those memories. If not. Um, sometimes like okay. I wish I was Matthew McConaughey and, you know, for his book, Green Lights and just really just pulled out all these journals to write the book. Gosh, <laughs> I wish I would have done yeah, that. I journaled here and there and okay. I still have some of them um, from high school, but nothing to where, you know, it's like that comprehensive by, by okay. any means. Okay. But yeah, when I, I when I finished the show, I started to write down things because I didn't mm. want to forget. I wish I would have done it while I was on the show. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How did you, I mean, you're one of the most busy people. How did you make time to make this happen? This book? I love this question because again, it's, I'm very honest about all things. There is absolutely no way I could have done this book if I did not have a ghostwriter. <laughs> if I did not have help, shout out to Sophia Quintero. We have been working on this for over a year. Like even in the, in my busy schedule, because I'm so type A, you know, we talk, I'd write, I'd send notes because I had an extensive outline already, like of what I wanted. I knew I wanted essays. I knew I didn't want chapters. I wrote down different subjects. I had even written like the foreword already. Like I had already started the writing process, but I just couldn't get there. And I also need mm. discipline. I'm a person who needs to be held okay. accountable, believe it or not. I'm type A, but it's like organized chaos. So I need someone who's like, Friday, you need to have this to me by so the process was long of us just talking, first just getting to know each other. And that's mm. how I knew she would be amazing in helping me. I wanted a woman of color because I wanted a woman who understood right. certain things that I was going through at the time, who's been maybe had a similar experience or has been impacted by 2020 in the ways that I have, has dealt with things in the professional world. And Sophia and I could talk for hours and hours. Mm. And, and she's an accomplished writer in her own right. And she does so much in the community as well. So, and she's Afro-Latina. So that she brings in the perspective as well of me marrying um, a Latino man. So I just loved it. 
So she and I would talk. I would write. I would send her notes. She would transcribe, but we would talk. I'd look at it. I'd form an essay. She would write. And now you're not even asking me all this. So I might be jumping no, ahead I, in my questions. I, literally, the show, the first half is like about the content and the second half is all about like writing and process. So this is like my dream. So please continue. We're all listening very intensely. And honestly, it was organized chaos. It was a lot of back and forth of, you know, like she would send me something and I was like, oh my gosh, I said this. I'm like, oh no, we got to take this out. Like, I'm not going to write this or, oh, I, and then I would just rewrite something completely or it would trigger another story. I'm like, hey, let's get on the phone. Let's talk. Let's work this out. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. Um, She would give her input on things and she was really good about pushing me to go deeper mm. because- I would find the Lindsay in me saying like, sure. mm, that's a little too much information. That's too much. And she would hit me with the why. Why right. did you do that? Why did you feel that way? And our conversation, our conversations, honestly, should be a book as well. Oh, I would they love were that. Just, and it was just a lot of yes, girl, and encouragement. And there were things that would happen in the world where we would just talk to each other about just venting and being upset about it. And then mm. it would you know, like give us inspiration to write about something else. You know, like that's how I started writing about how, when I start going into detail about Ahmaud Arbery and mm -hmm. talking about that because of a conversation that she and I were having. And I was like, man, I forgot to tell you about this moment when this happened. And it right. just talked, we just, it became an essay. Wow. So yeah, it was a, it was a lot note taking outlining. I like in my notes, I'm a huge phone taker in my notes. I'm a huge voice memo person in okay. my notes. I'm driving. I have an idea. It's a voice memo. I'd shoot it to Sophia. Um, she'd send me articles sometimes about different things. And so it was, it was a great process, a lot of hands-on, a lot of back and forth. And to this day, Sophia and I have never met in person. Oh, where is she located? She's New York. Okay. Gotcha. But every time I try to get to New York, I, I'm too busy or she's not there. Right. She comes to LA and I'm not here. So yeah, one, one of these day. days one we're going to get together and we'll probably cry and yeah. hug. And, and hug. <laughs> I am so indebted to her. I am so grateful for her that she was patient with me, kind, understanding, took the time to get to know me mm. and you know, like really wanted this book to be as successful as her. And I feel like a lot of her is in this book as well. Like that's like a sister to me. Oh, I love that so much. It It's very rare just by the nature of this show that I get to talk to someone who's had a ghostwriter. And so mm -hmm. I never get to talk about ghostwriting, which I'm always really fascinated about because it's so like hush hush. A lot of people either don't talk about it for whatever reason, or a lot of people don't know about it at all. So I'm really grateful mm -hmm. for you for sharing a little bit about your experience. Yeah. I don't like to pretend. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to pretend that this is not extensions. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend, you know what I mean? Right. That I, you know, haven't had like Botox once or something before. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't, that I wrote this book all by myself. Right. And I just speak things so highly of Sophia that it would just be doing a disservice to not honor how helpful she was with me in writing this book. Right. That's so interesting. Um, I'm curious about when you're doing your notes and when you're like pulling your ideas together, where are you? How often are you doing it? Do you sit down and sort of sit to write or are, is it always like note taking on the go? Are you listening to music? This part's important. Are there snacks and beverages, rituals, <laughs> candles, like set the scene of sort of how you are creating this book? I am really a person who has to be inspired to write. Okay. I am not like, okay, this Sunday, I'm going to block out time to write. It just comes to me after a conversation with a friend, after reading something in a book, after podcasting, after, you know, like maybe watching a Real Housewives episode, <laughs> after a conversation with my mom. And then when, and when I get the like the itch or the whatever you want to call it when the inspiration mm. hits I can just go mm. and like and I am in a zone but I what was helpful in having a ghost writer is there was more structure to it mm -hmm. so I could block out like okay this conversation has been transcribed let me put this together like man this needs a lot more this doesn't really explain like I have the outline and the bones, but this, there's no, like no meat to it. This doesn't explain why this happened. This is a little disjointed. It's not connected. Mm. Um, 
I can be a little wordy, which I am in the book, but that's actually real life. And I did want people to, <laughs> I did want people to feel like they were sit when they were reading this book, like they were talking to me because people know me so much from talking. So yeah, the book is a lot, a lot of words. It probably could have been whittled down a bit, but I'm wordy. So it, it reflects me. It definitely um, does. I feel like you could hear your voice through it, which is really interesting with a ghostwriter too, because it's like, I think that I know that it's you. And then it's like, oh, someone else like helped. But that just goes to show that we all need that's help. That's how, that is how, that is shows how involved I was. This wasn't yeah. just like, hey, I'm going to tell you this. Right, you know, right, I'll, right. I'll check you later. She got me. We got each other. It was very much so back and forth. Um, but to answer your question, yes, that's how, that is how a lot of my writing is. But when I block off time to write and when I'm my best self writing is late at night Okay. when everybody's asleep, there is nobody's going to text me. I can't be distracted by social media, really. There's nothing on TV. And I like to play old school. Like I have to have noise. Okay. Old school, 80s, 90s R&B. Something that I might be writing, but I'm singing along at the same time. Okay. I have a glass of wine and I am in my space, like this is my office, and I'm just going. Brian's asleep. The dogs are at my feet. I just <laughs> love that it's, it feels like I'm the only person in the world. And that is when I can really, really get going. You're giving me major like term paper vibes. And that's how I would do my last yeah. minute term. This is exactly how I would do it. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's like everyone's asleep and like you're vibing out to your music. Like I got to get my work done. Right. Get in the zone. But don't you feel like you're the only person in the world? And that for some reason is just so inspiring to me. I'm vibing in that, that moment. I love uh, that. That's yeah, very so good. If I am going to pick a moment, that's it for sure. Do you have any snacks? Not, I'm not a snacker period in life. Oh no, Rachel, like, Rachel, 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 Rachel. This no, is the, no, this no. is the, the joys, I guess, of being, or not really joys, but just the issues with being a picky eater. I'm not a snacker. I don't really nibble. Wine is my snack. You know, I'll, okay. I'll bring the it. bottle in here and the glass <laughs> and just, if, if anything, it's going to be peanuts. It's so boring. I'm just, I'm just not a snacker. So I am the opposite. I'm a super picky eater. And so I snack a lot in case when it comes to mealtime, there isn't what I like because I don't Maybe like I'm to be hungry. Yeah. So I have, I eat snacks t too much, but I, what kind of picky eater are you? What are, what's on your do not eat list? Textures. I've learned this in my, my older age. I can't handle the guacamole, the avocado, the mashed potato, the applesauce, oh. the chili, the oatmeal. Like, you see what okay. I mean? Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will drag on okay. it. And I don't like spreads. So okay. everything has to be oil-based. So I can't have oh. like a, a, what, what, like a white wine sauce okay. on my, like a cream sauce on my pasta. It's got to wow. be olive oil. Got it. It can't be creamy. I can't handle that kind That's of stuff. So interesting. I'm a flavor picky eater. I also don't like guacamole though. I'm disgusted by avocados. But I can Thank I you. love a mashed potato. I I like I like a creamy moment. I don't I don't like a lot of like vegetables. A lot of vegetables disgust me. <laughs> Just very oh, turned really? off by that. Vegetables. I'll do that. I'm, as I get older, I get better, but I don't eat eggs. I'm not into eggs. I'm not into avocado. I'm not into like, it's just taste for me. Like, so it, there's no texture at all that matters. I mean, maybe there's some textures. Cottage cheese is not a texture. It, it has to sound, smell, taste, and look right for me to eat it. Okay. So I understand what you mean. If I think about an egg too long, I can't eat it no. because there is, but I like eggs, but if I think yeah. about it too much, they have to be cooked the perfect way. And if not, I can't eat them. I can't yeah. eat a hamburger because I can't stand ground beef. I look uh, at it. It disgusts me. So this is not even about the look. Yeah. So it's a mental thing. It's a, I have a lot I'm of problems sure, like, with ground meat things like meatballs gross me out. Meatloaf is a disgusting. hard no. Any mixed of me. like I so I have a little bit of what you have and then I also just have like I don't like it like my nephew used to say that looks like something I don't like and that's me and that's me I am still a child no he's 30 now this is what he used to say when he was a kid um, <laughs> yeah yeah how do you um preserve or tap into your to your creativity oh um 
you know, life inspires me. So that's why I'm big on, so it's not like, granted, I do meditate. And there are moments when I'm inspired and I feel creative after a really successful meditation. Mm -hmm. But I feel creative when I'm out in nature. So mm -hmm. I love to walk my dog and put my AirPods in and listen to absolutely nothing. Oh. Because I'm soaking in all the surroundings around me. I'm thinking about certain things. Ideas come to me. And I love it. They also come to me when I take a bath. I love a bath woman. I I'm love a bath. Oh, with the bubble bath, with the candle, I'm in the dark. Maybe I have wine. Maybe I have grapes. One of my favorite. Okay. My favorite a snack, snack or a, bowl, a cup of grapes. So, and I've been since a child, my dad used to wash them off for me. It's like, a, it's a thing. Okay. So there you go. Thank you. I feel very inspired and creative because I'm completely at peace and relaxed mm. on a road trip, especially when I'm by myself. I am oh. very much so when I take, that's when I do a lot of voice memos. I feel very creative, especially out here in California when you're driving past the water I look up and I see the mountains and there is something so breathtaking, not ha having not grown up around mountains to look and see mountains in the dis distance, especially when they're snow capped. Mm. I'm just very inspired by, by nature, by the water. Um, yeah. Long walks. I love that. I love that. I like, I like a long walk. I actually went on a walk right before I came back in the house to do this. Okay. This is a very important question. Everyone who comes on the show gets asked this question. What is one word you cannot spell correctly on the first try? <laughs> That's a lot. Um, I don't know, but let me just tell you, let me say this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you ever come across where you like the most simple word you mm -hmm. for some reason can't spell yes. and it looks wrong to you every single time you see it on a page yes i did that with a word that i can't even believe it was it was because it's only two letters okay i can't wait. the life of me i one time could not figure out how to spell of it just don't ask me why. I love this. I love this. I'm gonna sound so stupid, but I, for the life of me, was like, O V E? Like, what? I don't know why in my mind I could not process of. Oh, this sounds so bad. No, I this is not. This is true. Like, capitulate or something like that. Like, I don't sure. know. I could. No, I, it's, it, know? this question is what I love about this question is that people I've gotten the, I've gotten there before, like people forget the difference between the theirs. I've gotten some, you know, Renaissance, I think was whoever was last week or, you know, it, it ranges. Restaurant is a very popular word that people can't spell. And I am a terrible speller, but that's like the one Same. word I can spell. And so every time someone says restaurant, I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> Easy. I can't spell cinnamon. I always oh, forget cinnamon. Too many consonants. Like whenever there's a double and there's not, like broccoli, yeah. you're like, is it yes. two C's or is it two L's? L's, like yeah. That I think it's, yeah, Tennessee, that's the word. Yeah. Where's the double, where's the single? Cinnamon, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I struggle with, with that kind of thing. Anything with a recommendation is always the word that is the hardest for me. There's too many Ooh. opportunities for too many consonants. And I'm just like, nope, <laughs> it's done. I don't know. And I use it's that word a lot. Every yeah, time. it's impossible. Okay. I need to know how you and Van got paired up to do higher learning. I don't know the origin story somehow. Oh, so it's, I wish we could say that we were the geniuses behind it, but it really was Bill Simmons who created The Ringer. Bill is a fan of The Bachelor. So I used to come on Juliet Littman's yes, podcast. Of course. Discuss. I used to come on Bachelor Party and I would talk and Bill loved that I had an opinion and kind of was like, didn't really care who I was upsetting when it came to The Bachelor, like I was going to say what I felt. And we did this Hulu show one time where it was like me, Ben Higgins, Lauren Zima. And I think Nick, was Nick there? I can't remember. And um, anyways, Bill was just kind of like, we became cool and we would talk and we have these conversations about Bachelor. Then one day he said, like, I want to work with you. Well, the crazy thing is I'm a heavy note taker. And mm. so I had outlined all the different areas I wanted to work in in the media and who I wanted to work with back in 2018. Oh, wow. Bill Simmons was one of those people. So just to know him was cool, to talk with him was cool. But then for him to say, I want to work with you, I'm like, okay, this I'm manifesting this, or I did manifest this. 
So he said, Rachel, don't you want to do something you're really proud of? Mm. And he's like, you're doing bachelor stuff. You're giving opinions, but like, don't you want to do something you're passionate about? And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, I have this idea. I really think you should meet this guy, Van Lathan. And I'm like, oh, I know who Van is. And, and I'm like the TMZ guy. Right. And so when he goes to Van and says, hey, you need to meet this girl, Rachel, he's like the bachelorette. So both of us were kind of like, uh, we didn't really know right. one another in depth like that. And Bill was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, like sit, sit you guys down. We're going to meet whatever. We met. We all went to lunch. And we talked for hours and hours. Mm. And we could, that could have been the podcast just in right. the first conversation. And that's how we met. And then I just like have this insecurity that like people don't really like me that much when they meet me for some reason. <laughs> okay, and, weird. <laughs> but, but, but this is this is an insecurity of mine specifically sure. with Black people because of how I grew up. Sure, sure. I so that. it's more so like, oh, like Vance is cool Black guy. He probably thinks I'm this square. That is my... Because right, that's right, what people right, used right. to say to me. Then couple yeah. the bachelor, bachelorette, all that stuff. And he was like, why would you think that? I, we talked for hours. What are you saying? Like, I thought you were so cool. <laughs> so from that moment on, we were like, we want to do this thing together. We both bring different perspectives when it comes to the Black experience. We grew up different. We kind of argue naturally yeah. like brother and sister. So there's really this dynamic already in place that we don't have to work on. And then we were supposed to actually start in March 2020. But then right. that's right when COVID hit. I was going to move to LA and everything. And I was still in Florida at the time. And then Van, as he's been open with um, on the podcast, really struggled at the beginning of COVID with his mental health. And so I thought he just didn't like me and didn't <laughs> want to do the podcast. Again, totally insecure. I get it. I get it. And, and then he was like, no, I was really struggling. And we had one practice and it was so good. And Bill was like, Bill was on the call and he's like, normally people have to do this over and over again. You guys got it. And we just, from, from then that. on, we just hit the ground running and now we're a year and a half in it. And we've only done it virtually except for one time it was in person, but the video messed up. So no one's ever seen it. So it's like, it didn't happen. <laughs> right. So oh I, I just can't even imagine how great the podcast is going to be when we can be face to face and have guests in studio with us yeah. and really play around a lot more. Oh my God. Well, if you guys are ever looking for a book person to come talk about books, I'm in LA. I'm available anytime. I you in LA. Oh, we have oh, to yeah, get together. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love that. Okay. I know we're running out of time. So let me do my last like little ones first. Okay. But I want to know if you know what comes next for you. I know technically no. the book's not out right now. So I'm like kind of stressing <laughs> you out. But for people listening, the book will be out. You can get it now. But do you know what's next? No. And, and I think, and I could never say that before and be okay with that. And that's how you, what you get in the book, which is why I have these life plans. I had planned out every single detail of my life. And then the moment I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do with the man that checked the boxes, the right. job I was supposed to have, I did not feel fulfilled in life mm. until I started doing things for me and what I wanted to do rather than what I should be doing. So I think there is so much beauty in saying, I don't know what's next. Never in my wildest dreams could I imagine that I would be podcasting and I would enjoy it so much. I'd be hosting a show or, um, you know, as a correspondent on a show on TV, I'd be writing for Meta, you know, just all these wonderful experiences, meeting so many great people, writing a book. Oh my goodness. Right. Like I never saw this for myself. So I, I know I want to continue in the space. I know I want to continue to do things that I'm passionate about. I know I want to do things beyond Bachelor. I know I want to create. I know I love talking to people and learning about them and telling their stories. So I want to do things where I can tell other stories. I want to continue to push for change. I want to continue to represent myself as a Black woman in all spaces. And I want to have a family. That's one thing I can say. Like, I really want to put my effort in, it's easy for me and natural for me for career first, career, career, right, career. Right, right. So I really want to take the time and be more proactive with growing our family. Oh, I want all of these things for you. They sound like great things. So we're going to just manifest it. You manifested Bill Simmons. We're going to manifest the rest of the <laughs> list. Um, what's the one thing that you hope folks will keep in mind as they read your book? Ooh, I would just like them to strip their mind of everything they think they know about me mm. and 
try that think of this book as a blank slate of you're getting what you yes you know pieces of me but in a controlled way when the narrative is told for me in in, a, in certain spaces this is me these are my words my feelings my emotions think of it as i'm going to get to meet rachel for the very first time think of this as a rebirth mm. and go into it with that mindset because then i think you can see me a certain way i hope people hate read this book because then i hope <laughs> you walk away and you're like wow i hope you realize that you know when you think of the bachelorette and we're supposed to be the most eligible person in the world that with that it, there are amazing things that happen but there's also a lot of hardships we're not perfect there's a lot that happens prior to coming on the show and there's a lot that happens after um don't glorify us don't treat us like we're not uh real people like because this book is real this book is me as a human being not as a bachelorette not mm -hmm. as a correspondent extra not as a podcaster on higher learning it's like me as the person for people who love this book for people who think this book is awesome and great and want more of things like it are there any books you might recommend to them that are sort of in conversation with what you've done like other memoirs Sure. Other memoirs that you think maybe speak to similar issues or anything, whatever. You know what? I, I haven't read one since becoming mm. uh, Michelle Obama's book because I didn't want my book to be like someone right. else's. My publisher gave me other essays and I started to read and I was like, no, because right. like, like I don't want to that voice in my head. But what I will say I enjoyed about becoming and what I definitely was like, I want to keep in my book is Michelle Obama talks about how kids teased her growing up mm, in the neighborhood yeah. in Chicago and something she struggled with. And I was like, oh, I have something in common with yes. Michelle Obama. <laughs> <laughs> but not that miss me with that is on any level of becoming, but I related to her in the sense that she also did everything she said she was going to do. And then she took a turn and decided to go work for the city and like detoured from the big job law firm that she had to do something she was passionate about. Right. And I loved that because I think so many people can relate to that and we're scared to do it, but then we do it and it just makes our life so much more rich. So yeah, um, it's hard to say what books, I mean, books I've read lately are cast. I just bought the, mm. the 1619 project, <laughs> a funny book that I did read and I wrote a blurb for is Danny Pellegrino's book that's coming oh, out. Oh, okay. How do I unremember this? And yeah. it's like a book of essays as well. Okay. And it is so good. It okay. is so interesting. I'm a big fan of him from his podcast. Yeah. But and he tells a lot of stories, but nobody can tell a story like Danny. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I have I have to get that book. Um are you are you in a blur van's book? I know you guys talked about it on the show. I don't know. You know, he didn't blur mine, so maybe he'll, he'll feel salty. But to be honest, nobody did. Yeah, I didn't get a finished copy yet, so I haven't seen any blurbs. Oh, you I didn't, ask I didn't for take blurbs. the time to yeah. ask people to read it before, and then I got super insecure. I just I deal with like, see, I want people to realize this. I'm I get so insecure about things, and I was like, oh I love God. this about you. I mean, I don't love it for you, but I it just makes you so relatable. I'm like, yes, insecure about every single possible thing. I totally yeah. Relate. yeah. And I thought I was like, I don't want people to read my book and then hate it. Or if they read my book and then they have nothing to say. So between that and my schedule, I didn't get anybody to give me a blurb. So, you know, if Van wants me to, absolutely, I'm going to do it. I can't. I'm very excited for his book as well. Oh, uh, it's going to be. I have no idea what it's going to be, but it's going to be good. Nobody tells a story like Van. That's Nobody true. Oh, my God. I have, so this is a total tangent. But when Van's father passed away, my dad died about 10 years ago. But I actually had to turn off the show when he was talking about his dad because it made me so emotional. The way that he like honored him, I'm going to cry right now, but it's just so special. Anyways, people who yeah. don't listen to higher learning, if you like this show, you'll love <laughs> higher learning. It's totally different, but it's great. Um, okay, this is my last question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's just about higher learning. I think that that is the beauty of it is one thing Van and I have promised ourselves is we don't shy away from anything, whether it's some type of controversy whether it's an emotion of what we're feeling, we bring that to the podcast mm -hmm. because we want to treat the thought warrior community. That's what we call our listeners yes. um, as family. So, you know, I, I hate that you have to turn it off, but I love that it was something that you could connect with at the same time, because that's what we want to bring to our audience. 
Yeah. It, uh, so good. Um, I do think I went back and finished, but I was like, I can't do this right now. I like came on <laughs> and I was like, I cried. I was cried so, during it. Yeah. It, the yeah. whole, th- it was just a lot. Last, 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 last question. If you could have one person dead or alive, read your book, who would you want it to be? Ooh, one person, you know, the first thing, just because we've been talking so much about Dr. King, I would say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but then I would be totally like <laughs> insecure <laughs> like for him to read. So I'm not going to say him because I could never take the nerve if he was alive to say like, hey, you should read my book. I would alive. I would want Michelle Obama to read my book. Mm. Dead. I would want Lucille Ball to read my book. Oh, love that. Did you see Being the Ricardos yet? Yes, I did. I haven't seen it yet. Did you like it? I've I've had no expectations and it okay. was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I don't <laughs> okay. like the, it's very Aaron Sorkin. So like, the, yeah. I don't like the setup and the way it moves, but I like it. I learned stuff in it. And I, as an, like a diehard, I love Lucy fan. There were things I didn't even know. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. Well, everybody, we're going to get out of here now. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Yeah, we got to get together. A thousand percent. Everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Rachel Lindsay for being my guest. I'd also like to thank Morgan Height and Emily Isaiah for helping to make this interview possible. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for February is I Live a Life Like Yours by Jan Gru. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, February 23rd with Tessa Miller. Everything you've heard on today's episode can be found in a link in the show notes. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks Review, listen to your podcast. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas, our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Tracy Thomas.